0: I feel like it's a bit of a, um, a milestone. We've been in the book of 1 Corinthians pretty much all year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're up to our second to last. So next week we're going to finish off. However, this week we're actually going to finish the book. So we're going to go through all of chapter 16 today. Uh, that's the plan anyway. I, I find this actually a hard passage passage to preach from. Uh, Not because Paul says anything particularly difficult to understand but mostly because it feels a bit like he had a bunch more things he wanted to say but ran out of time. A bit like a preacher. The end of Paul's letters often seem like a random bunch of ideas that are just sort of spilled out onto the last page of the letter that he had to write. So I'm just going to read the last chapter, it's only 24 verses or so long and then I want to point out to you five themes that I think show up in this last chapter and I think that this, these five themes taken together actually give us Five essential components or five essential parts to what a healthy gospel community looks like. Yeah. And the church in Corinth certainly needed to hear that. <laughs> um, but so do we. So, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. We're going to read the entire chapter. I'll invite you to read along with me in your Bibles. Um, if you're having difficulty doing that, I possibly, I don't remember, I may have put it on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting from verse 1. Now, about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed to the Galatian churches... On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. I'll come to you after I pass through Macedonia for I will be travelling through Macedonia and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may uh, send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry is open for me yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you, because he's doing the Lord's work, just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he can come to me, because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus; They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labours with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus... An Acacia's present, because these men have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia send, their, send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. There's the last chapter of... 1 Corinthians, to where Paul went, oh man, I've got a heap more things to say, I'm just going to, and this and that guy, and that guy said hello and what can we take from it though? I've got five things that I want to point out to you that I just think are here. You know, whether they're all connected to each other, I'm going to say, I think they are simply because I don't believe that anything in Scripture is there by accident. The Spirit of God wants us to see these things, Paul's just been dealing with a church which is in turmoil. Paul's been dealing with a church that seems to have a whole bunch of false gospel identities. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a church of Jesus Christ? And they had their ideas all twisted and woven together in really tangled ways. Then Paul has spent this entire letter untangling these ideas and showing them, again, this is where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ tells you you are. This is who you are in him. You don't have to pretend to follow false ideas. You don't have to pretend to follow fancy speakers. You don't have to pretend to be anything that you're not. You are just who you are because of who Jesus says you are. And then this last chapter, we get this sort of summarising idea, which I think shows us some of these in practical ways. So here are five things i think that make up the shape of a gospel community here's the first one it's found in verses 1 through 4 i'm going to give you the title of it and then i'm going to reread those four, four verses just so they're fresh in your mind again a one one aspect of a gospel shaped church is they put their money where their mouth is they put their money where their mouth is I'm going to read to you again, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, now about the collection to the saints. He's talking about money. Now about the collection to the saints. Do as I instructed the Galatian church. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collection will be need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they'll travel with me. Now, one of the things that we don't do in this church very often, and it has been a deliberate thing, is that we don't want to talk about money all the time. Um, We think there are far more important things about following Jesus, about the life of a Christian, about the life of the church, than talking about money. Um, Money, as it is for you... And I, it is for we, as a church, it is the root of all evil when it becomes our love. Okay? Money on itself, not the problem. Our love for money is. All right? So it's been a deliberate thing as a part of this church is that we don't want to be talking about money frequently. But I'm going to talk about this morning simply because Paul does. Um, It is a good thing for a gospel-shaped church to give money to gospel work, right? It is a good thing, a really good thing. It is a good thing for a church that loves Jesus, that is shaped by the message of good news of grace, to actually say, you know what, we love all these things and we are willing to put our hand in our pocket and put our money where our mouth is. And of course, then all the practical questions come right? Well, how much should I give? Should I tithe? Uh, tithing is a, certainly an Old Testament concept, tithing was, in general idea, um, a minimum, by the way, minimum 10%, so often now I'm thinking, we think maximum 10%, 10%, man, that's a lot of, well, let's go back, it's minimum 10% in the Old Testament, There was a lot more other things that they were expected to, commanded to give over and above that, and so maybe you're thinking, well, um, how much, Chris, should, be, should we give? Yeah. What, about that, um, what about that widower that you know, was in the temple that day? She only gave one copper coin, like the equivalent of maybe one or two cents in our currency. And Jesus praised her. He did, that's right. That one or two cents, though, was her entire income. So if you want the praise of Jesus then let's have a look at your entire income and let's see if that goes in the bag, all right? Um, so we can get caught up in thinking about dollars and cents here. I like the fact that Paul just says, hey, listen, um, let's just talk a moment about the collection for the saints. Lots of terminology um, where one church saw that there were bigger needs than just their own one church the church in Corinth Paul was trying to help them see that there was more gospel work happening beyond just the the building that they met in just the town that they lived in that there were that there were things happening in the world that God was a part of and they could partner with what God was doing elsewhere and they could do that with their finances and so he says now there's a collection for the saints I'm not going to go back to the to the letter in Galatia, um, to the Galatian church, but Paul gives instructions elsewhere and he actually just says, hey listen, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches to do and then he summarises what it is. On the first day of the week, um, once a week, when we gather is a, is a good way to do it, each of you, now here, here are the instructions, each of you is to set aside something, all right? Or I keep reading that back to front. Each of you is to set something aside and save it in keeping with how he is prospering. So basically it means, don't worry about a figure. Don't worry about this is the amount that God wants everyone to give. No, just look at what you're able to do. Look at your income. How is God providing and prospering you in this world Physically financially and actually sit down and draw it up if it means getting out some paychecks or getting out some sort of return from your investments or whatever it might be talk to your financial advisor if you have one Um, look at whatever is in the in the bank and just draw up a statement and just say how am i regularly earning an income and then sit before the lord and ask him What is it, this something? What is the something that I'm called to set aside and save in keeping with how I'm prospering, in alignment with how I'm prospering? Paul doesn't say, this is how you be a really good Christian, by giving more. In fact, that goes against nearly everything else that he said in this whole letter. But basically, it means, once a week, or, let's say, on a very regular basis in alignment with whatever your income is, a church will put their money where their mouth is and they say, we are concerned for what God is doing in this world and we want to back it. We want to partner with what God's doing. And the way that I can do that is by simply taking some of what is mine and sharing it with others. Now, in particular, Paul's example is, he says, hey, listen, set that money aside and do it regularly Because when I do come to visit, we don't know how long away that was, Paul doesn't even seem to know. He said, look, I'm going to travel there. I'm going to go through Macedonia. I'm going to probably stop for a while in Ephesus. But I I do hope to come to you. When I get there, we won't have to do a special love offering. We won't have to turn, turn the music up, play multiple verses, and dim the lights and say, come on, give. We won't have to do that because you'll be prepared. It'll be a normal rhythm of your life. Just to simply say each week, I'm going to set a bit aside. I'm going to set a bit aside. When Paul comes, he's going to say, great, I'll gather all of those collections up. I'll get a couple of guys with me for um, yeah, bouncers or something. And we'll, we'll carry that bag and we're going to go to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to carry your gift to Jerusalem. I would think by that that the church in Jerusalem really needed a hand. They were struggling, they were doing it tough and the church in Corinth said, hey guys, these are my brothers and sisters down there in Jerusalem, they're my Christian family, they don't live here, they've got different needs to us, they're different people to us but they are family." They are brothers and sisters in Christ. God is doing something there and we're going to partner with what God is doing by simply putting our money where our mouth is. And so the challenge is, I would like you this week to review your giving. I really would. I'd love for you to sit down and think, firstly, am I giving regularly? Secondly, if I'm giving regularly, how much is that in comparison to what I'm earning, what God is giving me to live off, am I giving in alignment with how I'm prospering? I'm not going to ask you to pick a figure. I'm not going to ask you to sort of say, here's the benchmark. It's simply between you and God to spend time and saying, am I putting my money where my mouth is? That is the first shape of a gospel-shaped church. Okay, number two, we've got five of them, let's try and motor through. The second one that I want you to point out is a gospel-shaped church not only puts their money where their mouth is, secondly, they maintain relationships. A gospel-shaped church maintains relationships, Because maintaining relationships matter even in the presence of conflict. Let's read verses 5 down to about verse 12. Paul says, I'm going to come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I'll be traveling through Macedonia. And perhaps I will remain for you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord allows. And I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide open door had been opened to me for effective ministry, yet many oppose me. And if Timothy comes, see that he's got nothing to fear while with you, because he's doing the Lord's work, just as I am, and, and so let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace, so that he can come to me, because I'm expecting him with the brothers. And now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come with the brothers but he was not at all willing to come now, however he will come when he has an opportunity. I want you just to notice a couple of things about this and part of it is just knowing the context, part of it's knowing and remembering the backstory to what Paul's just been saying. This has been a hard letter for the Corinthian church to hear. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in church at Corinth? Now we've taken an entire year to sort of plough our way slowly through this, the way that this would have worked in Paul's day is that he would have penned this letter to the church in Corinth and would have given it to a courier and the courier would have taken it from wherever Paul was all the way to the city in Corinth and he would have passed it on to one of the leaders of the church in Corinth and he would have said, hey guys, um, Paul, Paul's got a letter for the church Now, they they know Paul. Paul was there, one of the guys who founded this church. He was one of the ones who spent some time in Corinth when there was no church there, no Christians. And he preached the gospel and people came to know Jesus and they believed the good news of grace and, and they started gathering and Paul was there and he was teaching them. And Paul loved these people and they loved Paul and then eventually Paul moved on to another area and he continued his ministry and the church kept on going. But man, they got things twisted up. And Paul had to write this letter back and just go, Guys, my brothers, sisters, I love you, but stop being such jerks. That's, that's what this letter's about. He's had to say really hard things to them. On one occasion, he says to them, Listen, I want you to listen to me and I want you to hear what I'm saying in love, even though it sounds like I'm bringing a big stick to you. In fact, he also says, maybe you'd prefer that if I did... Bring a big stick. I mean, Paul's, they're sort of veiled threats. He wants to grab him by the collar and shake him up a little bit and say, Come on, guys, get your act together. Love Jesus well. Stop getting so distracted by these peripheral things, these secondary things. This has been a hard letter. This has put a bit of tension in the relationship. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were sitting here or if you were a part of that church in Corinth and on Sunday morning someone got up and the worship leader was there, I've never had worship leaders, probably not, but let's say they had a worship leader and he was playing the lute or something and, and he said, oh by the way everyone, just before the kids go out for kids church, uh, I've got a letter from, from, oh, from our dear friend Paul and everyone goes, oh we love Paul, Paul's great and the elders all sort of look at each other sideways and... <clears throat> Well, I guess it's time to uh, read the letter. It's gonna be a long letter. We're gonna take a year to read it. (laughs) And they just read it out. If you read this letter from front to back, takes about, you can read it in about 45 minutes. Um, Can you imagine that, that moment? It starts really well, remember? Can you remember back to February? Oh, it's, it's good. Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, their brother, and everyone's going, oh, yeah, we love Sosthenes, he's awesome. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, everyone looks at each other, yes. <laughs> called the saints, yes, that's awesome. All right, gets on down, verse four, I always thank my God for you. Yeah, he should too, shouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Because you were enriched in him in every way. And they're like, that's right, every way. Preach it, brother, right? (laughs) In all speech and knowledge. And someone said, said, that was awesome, right? Verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you. And one half of the church looked across at the other half of the church and they went, did you hear that? (laughs) And then it just keeps getting worse and worse. There were people sleeping with their mother-in-law and everyone was cheering them on. They thought that was wonderful. There were people cheating each other, people turning up for communion, despising the lower class people. There were people who were publicly humiliating others in in the church service. And Paul calls it. And bit by bit, he unravels their confidence in themselves. Do you reckon they were cheering by the end of this letter? I don't reckon they were. I reckon there was two possibilities. One, tears of grief or tears of anger. How dare he say that about us? Who's he to talk about that? And Paul, I think, could have easily wiped his hands of this and just said, you know what, this is sort of too difficult. We'll either pretend it doesn't exist or I'm just going to ghost them. I'm just going to stop talking about them. I'm just going to stop addressing them. I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist. I'm just going to move on with my ministry in life. Who needs the church in Corinth anyway? But I tell you what, the shape of a gospel-shaped church means that you are committed to relationships even in the midst of conflict. Paul says, guys, I really want to be with you and I don't want it to be in passing. I want to spend some time with you. I'm committed to the relationships that I have with you. Look, there's ministry opportunities and they're they're happening. There's a wide open door for effective ministry happening in Ephesus. Please pray for me. But I tell you what, my heart is to be with you. I want to come to you. I don't want to just write letters, I don't want to just sort of say, hey guys, you've been really disappointing. Paul says, I want to be with you. To me, that says that that a gospel-shaped church can look at each other in the eye, even when there's tension, even when there's conflict, and they say, no, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to what God is doing in you. I'm committed to this place. I'm committed to this community because it matters, because God has brought us together. And guess what? Community is difficult. Some of you are really annoying. (laughs) And you're like straight back out, you loser. Um, No, look, I mean, that's the thing. Some of us are difficult to get along with. It's why the Bible says, bear with one another. If we didn't have to bear with one another, it was because we're all so lovable and we're not. We're not always anyway, right? Sin gets in the way, personalities get in the way. But a gospel-shaped church in the midst of conflict, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, looks at each other and just says, yeah, it can be challenging at times, but guess what? I am committed to you no matter what. The relationship matters. We're going to run out of time. They put their money where their mouth is. Relationships matter, even in the face of conflict. Third thing, gospel-shaped communities make the gospel the main thing. They make the gospel the main thing. Read verse 13 and 14 with me. Be alert, Paul says. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Verse 14 Do everything in love. That's what the gospel looks like when it's the main thing. All right? That's what the gospel looks like when it's the main thing. The gospel makes us alert, the gospel makes us tuned in. The gospel is good news about Jesus Christ who came to love sinners and who saves them, not because they deserved it, not because they lived up to it, not because they got their act together, not because they turned over a new leaf. The Gospel says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies with God, He loved us. His kindness brought us to repentance And so the gospel, that good news of Jesus' love for sinners, that good news of salvation by grace through faith, that makes us alert. It makes us tuned in to say, this is the greatest news of all time. This is what this church should be marked by. How should this community in Raymond Terrace see us as a church? Now, maybe they don't have gospel-shaped language. Maybe they can't say, wow, that church really embodies the gospel of grace. They probably won't say that. But you know what they might say? That church loves us. They might not know what that means or even why. But... Is a church that is gospel-shaped, is our church? Are we gospel-shaped in the way that we make the gospel the main thing? We're alert to it. We're alert to the dangers to it. We're alert to the ways that we might be drifting from it. We're alert to the ways of how we walk in it. Paul says, stand firm, not in your resolve... Not stand firm in your strength, he says, stand firm in the faith. It's the faith that we have, that we stand firm in. Be courageous. I'm not sure what translation you're reading from this morning, some translations, a little bit older translations say, act like a man and all the women are like, that's overrated (laughs) and all the men are like, oh yeah, act like men, you know. The concept there is be strong, right? Be bold, um, positive attributes that are at their best in men and women who find their strength in Jesus. But that's what the gospel does. Verse 14 do everything. Do everything in love. There's, there's no other qualifier needed for that right so we can do menial tasks together in love we can do big events in the public but they need to be done in love do you remember that chapter Tim referenced it this morning when he was talking to the kids so many different ways that we can get caught up on the peripheral things on secondary things and in chapter 13 remember more than a marriage chapter more than the wedding ceremony chapter, Paul says you can serve God in all sorts of ways. Chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, he says, but you know what? Even if you could speak the tongues of angels, even if you have got faith to move mountains, even if your spiritual gifting is off the Richter chart, if you don't have love, it's worth nothing. Nothing. So now Paul says, hey, listen, whatever you do, gifting, service Communication, even when you're trying to sort out conflict, do everything in love. That's what a gospel shaped church does. All right, that's the third one. We've got two more to go. Fourth one is you foster the art of honouring and encouragement. A gospel shaped church fosters the art of honouring and encouragement. Read with me from verse fifteen, brothers and sisters. You know the household of Stephanus. Well, we're like we don't, but they did, right? You know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia. That's a region. The first Christians, the first people to believe the good news of grace in that region, was the household of Stephanus. And they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. That's what their whole life goal has become, to serve the saints, the other believers, to give of themselves for other people's benefit. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labours with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, Acacius present because these men have made up for you in your absence, for they've refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. You know what? Gospel-shaped churches don't puff people up. They don't walk around just sort of false, falsely talking about how wonderful and sort of building up egos. That's not what encouragement and honor is about. But honoring and encouragement is about recognizing what God is doing in people and celebrating it. Do we do that? Do we do it enough? I think we it's challenging for us in Australia, what, you know, gross generalisation, but a lot of Australians tend to sort of resist that sense of public accolade a lot. If we see it, we sort of think, oh, it's sort of pretty puffed up, or the old sort of concept of the tall poppy syndrome, we don't want to sort of stand out from anyone, and we don't want to... I'll tell you what, gospel communities shaped by the gospel they are quick to honor and encourage they're quick to see where God is at work and walk up to them even if it's just privately you know we don't have to put spotlights on people and stand up here and throw bouquets at them or anything but when was the last time that you just walked quietly up to someone and just say hey listen I just want to let you know that I love the way that you devote yourself to other people because of your love for Jesus. We don't have to make a song and dance about it. You don't have to buy them a gift pack. But you certainly do need to go and chat with someone. Put, the, put your hand on their shoulder if that's appropriate, shake them by the hand, be a man, whatever. You, I don't. However it ends up coming across in our culture, let's be a church that honours and encourages people. Gospel shaped churches do that. All right, the fifth one. The fifth one. A gospel shaped church, a gospel shaped community will pursue love and grace. They'll pursue love and grace. Read from verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla. Send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters, send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll talk about that in a moment. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. And because Paul is Paul, he still has to add, if anyone does not, the love, does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. O Lord, come. O Lord, come. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is a church shaped by the gospel who will pursue love and grace. Imagine for a moment again if that church in Corinth was, if we were contemporaries with them if we were the church just down the road, alright? I'll tell you one of the things that happens amongst churches and it's incredibly sad, is we play the comparison game. We can do it as amongst Christians, it's very easy as an individual Christian this morning, look at another person, maybe in this church or that you know of, that's a Christian and you sort of think, "Wow, well, I will never have my life together as a disciple of Jesus like they do. And you can try to compare yourself or I'm so grateful that I have my life together more than they do. That's the other one that's pretty common, right? Guess what? Churches can do that as well. There's a handful of other churches in Roman Terrace. You know what we could be tempted to do? Lord, I thank you that we are not like, fill in the blank, name the church down the road or cross the street or across the other side of town, or at Heatherbrae, or in Newcastle, or wherever it is that you want to point the finger. I'm so glad that I'm not like that, because we are this, and we... I mean, the, the church in Corinth was pretty was pretty dysfunctional. And I, I think I would have been tempted, as a church leader, to be in Corinth, or near Corinth, and sort of think, man, have you heard about what they're doing over in that church in Corinth? Oof. Those guys are messed up. Right? I'm so glad that we seem to have things a lot better. Oh no, we're not perfect. We always say that. We're not perfect. What we mean is we're better than them. But I'm just covering my bases, right? But I want you to notice how many people lined up to send their greetings to the church in Corinth. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla and the church that meets at their house, they're sending you greetings. When all the brothers and sisters, they're all sending greetings, right? Paul says, I I greet you. You're my family. You're my friends. I warmly greet you. My love be with all of you. Paul is pursuing love with them, pursuing grace with them. And that's a choice that we make. That's a decision that we make in advance. No matter what, I'm going to pursue love, I'm going to pursue grace. And I'll tell you what, if we get to heaven and we made a mistake, if we erred, I want to err on the side of grace. I want to err on the side of someone saying, well, maybe you're too gracious. I mean, if i have got to make a mistake, then let's make that mistake, all right? Let's be known as a church that pursues love and that pursues grace. Now, a word to those who are zealous amongst us, as we have coffee, please do not walk up and start kissing everybody (laughs) in the fire. COVID's passed, restrictions have dropped to a certain degree, that was never okay for us to be doing that, all right? Don't just walk up kissing people. This is certainly a bit of a cultural expression. In fact, for me, don't even hug me, like that's fine, just come and say hi, put your hand out, I'll shake it. If I want to hug you, I will. But putting cultural expressions aside for a moment, in verse 20, greet one another with a holy kiss, there was an expectation there was a type of warmth to this community that could be felt. A warmth and an intimacy in this community that people could experience and feel. It's not appropriate in our culture to be walking up and kissing everyone all the time, sort of saying, Oh, well, it's a holy kiss, you know. <laughs> it's still not appropriate. But do people leave this building if they've gathered together on a Sunday morning? Do people leave your place or when you bump into another Christian, do they have a sense of the warmth with what it means to belong to this community? One, one way that I think is a great goal for us to have is um, sometimes we have to run programs to sort of try and streamline these sorts of things but no one should ever walk through these doors on a Sunday morning without walking back out of them, I think without having someone saying to me, hey what are you doing this afternoon or this evening? Do you want to catch up for coffee? Do you want to come back to a place for a meal? Do you want to hang out? There's something about just saying, listen, my home and my life, it's yours for a little while. What would you like to do? Can we do this together? That's, that's one way that we can culturally appropriately greet another with a holy kiss, right? We can have a sense where we're saying, you matter to me, And I want to be with you for a while. I want to just be encouraged by your presence. I want to encourage you. We pursue love and we pursue grace. So the very last verses of this entire letter, for all the hard things that Paul has had to say, is the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. It's one thing to say, well, God loves you. I don't, but God does. (laughs) Instead, he says, no, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you and my love be with you. That's what the shape of a gospel community looks like, even after hard things have had had to be said. So I'm going to say the same thing to you as we finish this letter off. Next week, we're going to do a bit of a a, uh, highlights of our trip, what are some of the things that we've learned? what are the, the big themes that we've seen in this letter, just to remind ourselves afresh of this big story as we've seen it in the letter to the church in Corinth. But why don't you stand as we finish. Lord, our desire is that we would be a community shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just a church that can put it on a sign or put it on a website or put it on a uh, statement of belief. But a church whose life and practice, how we meet, how we gather, how we go out, how we take the gospel out into our community. That all of that is shaped by who you are and what you've done. We want to be people who look like followers of Jesus, not just sound like followers of Jesus. Lord, help us to take to heart what you have been saying through this letter to the church in Corinth and to us. And as we finish reflecting on it in depth, we thank you for your grace to us through it. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you and my love be with all of you also in Christ Jesus. Amen.